Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with 19 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance. I'm also a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider and have over 20 years in helping corporations and individuals with planning. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. Yeah, you can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link in the top right-hand corner. And, uh, Steve, you know, people can stream us kind of wherever they're hanging out um, this Saturday morning. A lot of people listen to us on 1230 a.m. is the other way to get get us. Right. I think a lot of people do do listen to us on the Internet, though. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's a big part of our audience out there, and it's an easy way to listen. And, you know, that's where the world's going, right? I mean, everybody's listening on their smartphone. They're plugging their smartphone into their car and listening, you know, to to off the Internet, basically, whenever they're going down the road. And I think that's a great way to do it, too, is on your smartphone. That's the way I choose to listen to most radio stations, including this one. And um, you can do that by downloading the TuneIn radio app to your smartphone if you get the pro version you can set it up to record so you Mm -hmm. can record us every saturday morning then listen to us at your leisure so it's a great way to do it um but yeah do do listen to us and uh check us out on our website moneymd.net we'd love to have your questions you can email us there at info at moneymd.net or you can link to us directly off the website and send us your questions yeah all right well i think uh we have a great show lined up for today john um you know, it's mid-year, yeah. basically. It's time for that financial checkup, isn't it, it? It is. You know, a lot of people, Steve, do the, the financial checkup, you know, either at the end of the year, you're doing some tax planning, uh, maybe at the beginning of the year is always a busy time. People kind of set the, um, the the plan in motion. But, you know, it's mid-year. This is a great time to, to take a look at a couple of different areas um, just to make sure you're on course, make sure you don't need to make any adjustments as we go through, you know, the, the rest of the year. Yeah, while you still have some time to make some changes that would make a meaningful difference yep by the end of the year so that's a great segment and then we're going to follow that up with investment costs what you don't know can hurt you you know john when it comes to investing there are very few things that have been proven to have a direct impact on your return but cost is one of those yes. so you need to pay attention to cost we're going to go through you know the different types of cost here and what to expect and and really you know how to understand what your investments are costing you so you want to pay attention to that. Yeah, and then we're going to uh, end with a uh, an article about classic investing mistakes. And, Steve, there's some really good um, suggestions in here, things that we see all the time. But there's a couple on here that um, we, don't dis- we don't agree with 100%. So this is a, an article out of Marketing Pro that we, we look at. And so we're going to do some uh, – we're going to – we're going to rip them a little bit, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're going to. But it's, it's to, good. It's got, it does have some valid points in it. so we'll, It does, uh, and, it, it. and it raises some issues that I think are worth discussing. So, um, yeah, we'll go through that. That's a good one. 
All right. Well, we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, Steve, this, um, the source is the Social Security um, Administration. And, uh, of course, they put a positive spin on this particular uh, financial fact. And it says that the uh, retirees are basically millionaires, they're saying. Um, when you start taking Social Security, um, that in order to, to get a certain amount of income, you would have to have some money in the bank, right? So here's sure. the stat. They, they're saying that the uh, in 2014, at full retirement age, the maximum you can get is about $2,642 per month, which is about thirty, almost $32,000 per year. And they're saying that you would need to have $3.2 million invested in a pre-tax account in order to generate that kind of income. Now, that's, a, um, now that's assuming a 1% Three, return. <laughs> so... So are they saying, John, that we're only getting 1% on our Social Security dollars we paid in for all yeah, those years? There's probably a negative return on it, but um, people, <laughs> young people today are not getting the return back. I saw some stats. I did some research on it, and there's some studies out there that show people many years ago have a, a, a reasonable rate of return. But this financial fact is, is interesting, kind of puzzling a little it, bit. It is, and it's it's interesting that the, that the Social Security Administration themselves – would basically admit that, yeah, it's like we're giving you a 1% return on your money, so you'd need $3 million to generate this $30,000 a year plus, uh, you know, Social Security benefit that we're paying you. Mm-hmm. I mean, the truth is, you know, we we as financial advisors believe you can make four, you can withdraw 4 or 5% of your money. Right. That's the industry you know, standard. Industry standard. And it will last your lifetime. So if you're getting $30,000 a year, you would need $600,000 mm-hmm. plus to generate that at least, right? And um, Versus $3 million. Versus $3 million. A So a little bit of difference there. So I think they're fudging the numbers a little bit to say, wow, this benefit is worth so much yeah. to you. But what they're really revealing is they're giving you a pretty crummy return on your investment. Yeah, that's true. And, and I will say, you know, we, we do um, – you know, we're not huge fans of Social Security the way it's uh, structured. Process structured, but for many people, Social Security is a big part of their retirement. Oh, it's very, and very so important. It's it's a forced savings plan. It's not the not the right way to run it. It's not the best. That's what we see, but um, anyway, that's the yeah. I mean, price. it's very important, and people do need to realize how important it is to their financial situation. And you don't have a choice. You have to contribute to it. So right, right. So the benefit is worth a lot, but I don't think it's worth <clears> 10, <throat> ten times what your right. what your benefit is every year, like they're saying here. But anyway, and very interesting fact of the week, straight from the Social Security Administration. Yep, that's what you get. All right, that leads us up to our uh, first topic of the year, and that is it's time for your mid-year financial checkup. Time to revisit your goals and your savings for the year and see, you know, how you're doing. Yeah, this um, comes from the U.S. News and World Report um, an article. It's it's really uh, obviously timely. You know, summer is a, is a perfect time for a financial tune-up. It, for most people, it's probably been six months since you gave serious thought to your, your goals, and you still have about half a year left to catch up on any major savings targets or other areas that you want to look at. So even if you've fallen behind, you can still get back on track and, and salvage kind of some of your goals. And uh, U.S. News um, turned to some financial folks out there, and um, it has have a couple things to look at. And number one here is is rethink some of your big goals. Um, you know, like many Americans, Steve, you know, you might have made a, a list back in January. I, I know I, I do, and I'm I know you and Kathy sit down as well. I've heard you talk about that as well. And, you know, um, maybe that list was saving $5,000 to buy your first home. Well, now is the time to check to make sure that you're halfway there. And if not, 
you know, you can make some adjustments and, and get back on track. Um, <clears throat> there's a, a, a financial planner out in California that they uh, quote here that recommends something like mint.com uh, to help you track your budget. So budgeting is obviously a big piece of this. And if you're spending too much, you know, you can make a bigger effort the rest of the year to catch up. And uh, if you're spending less than plan, you know, pat yourself on the back and uh, invest a surplus or go on a vacation. Yeah, that's true. The vacation. I'm for that one. There I like go. that. Yeah, I figured you would. Good idea. All right. And then number two here on the list is to give yourself a raise. Um, you know, even if your salary is maxed out and your earnings don't 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 have to be because there's things you can do in the summertime, right? Um, maybe you have some time on your head, hands, things are slowed down a little bit at the office, um, or you have more time in the evenings, more spare time. Uh, so, you know, if you've been brainstorming ways to earn some money on the side, the slow summer months are a good time to put those plans in motion. Um, do you know a second language that you could teach? Maybe do you have a craft or cooking skill you could share? Um, so, you know, get some ideas about how you can earn some extra money. Check out the services in the section of, of Craigslist, maybe to see what people are advertising, um, from editing to gardening to event planning, um, you know, here in the Aiken Augusta area, I mean, there's some big events you can do mm-hmm. like, um, you know, every year, a lot of people go work at the masters sure. or they'll do extra work during masters week, you know, maybe take a week's vacation and, and you can earn some real money. Um, so there's just think of things you can do to increase your income. If you're, you know, if that's one of your goals is yeah. to, to put some extra money aside, garage sale, sell stuff on eBay. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of different ways, a lot of ways. Number three here on the list is, is put your money to work and, um, they talk about another budgeting site, Steve. This is interesting. Mint.com is one of them that we just mentioned. I'm pretty familiar with that one. I like the site. There's another one on here I'm not familiar with. It's called doughhound.com, D-O-U-G-H-H-O-U-N-D.com. And this guy is saying, you know, instead of keeping your money in a savings account, maybe you should make it work a little bit better, like putting it into a Roth or maybe a traditional um, to reduce some taxes later. And, you know, if you've already have money invested in the market through retirement or other accounts, spending an hour or so rebalancing them um, so that you're, that you're not over-invested in one asset class that has really done well, this may be a good time to um, to take a look at that, right? I mean, we talk Absolutely. about doing rebalancing periodically. Well, you know, sometimes there's tolerance levels you can set. That's kind of what we do, and, and uh, we look at it quarterly. But uh, maybe this is a good time to kind of review your portfolio and see how it's, you know, stacked up for the year. Absolutely. I mean, it is a great time to do that, and, and rebalancing is a great thing to do this time of year, look at things and – and, uh, you know, even even once a quarter, mm-hmm. it's a good time to do that like we do for our clients. Um, the next one here is is get a, a flex check. Um, if you're among the thousands of employees who, who have a flexible spending account that you signed up for at the beginning of the year, you have money that's coming aside every month, going in pre-tax dollars to cover, you know, health care expenses, transportation, child care costs. So check to see where you stand with those accounts. Yeah. Good. Right, because yeah, I mean, if you haven't spent close to half of that for the year, it's probably a use it or lose it. Oh yeah, type account. Yeah, it is. You can, Most of those accounts are. Yeah, if you don't use it in uh, in the current year, then it's going to go bye bye. So yeah, so you need sure to think you... of some adjustments. Think of how you're going to use it in the rest of the year, and if you haven't, if you're not on track for using it, you can. Um, 
you know, uh, go get the eye appointment, um, get yeah. your glasses, you know, redone. Do some preventative maintenance on the old body. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. That's a good one. Okay. That leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the um, mid-year financial checkup. John, you know, I mean, we're halfway through the year now. It's a great time. To look at things, see how they're on, how they're going for the year. Are you on track? Do you need to do some rebalancing in your portfolio? Do you need to, you know, spend your your uh, flexible spending account? Yeah. You know, get it back on track for the year. Um, you know, how are you doing financially? Yeah, it's, it's a it, great time. Yeah, it is just a time to kind of stop and and you know dust off the uh, the goals that you set back in uh, December or January for this year and and uh, see if you're halfway there because we're kind of halfway getting. Uh, in that ballpark. And, um, so like we said, you know, rebalancing, look at the flexible spending account, um, you know, rethink, look at some of the big goals that you set. Um, maybe, you know, if your salary is not maxed out, try to try to get some additional income coming in as well. So the fifth one here on the list is, is, um, just cutting your energy cost. I mean, I mean, during the summer, energy costs often skyrocket. And in addition to the, the, the price of gas, uh, overtaxed air conditioners add to that monthly cost. So limit your expenses by by turning your thermostat up a few degrees during the day. Keep the shades down. Um, plug any leaks, you know, in the windows around around your home. I, I can tell you the thermostat. I mean, that makes a big difference. I'll sit down with someone from a counseling standpoint, and they'll have a a four hundred or five hundred dollar electric bill, and I'm like, Oh yeah. Well, what do you keep your thermostat on? They're like, Well, seventy. It's crazy. In the summertime? Yeah. It's like, wow. You know, yeah. so. It's kind of like at the office, John. You know, I mean, I walk in there. That air conditioning unit runs constantly, I have man. no idea what you're talking about. I don't know who does that. Somebody turns it down, and it just runs. And our bill is like $400. Is it really? It is for the friggin' air conditioner. And it's just, I don't know. You know. I, well, maybe we need to get some fans in there. <laughs> We're going to put a fan in your office, dude, and it is going to blow you out of the office. You're going to come in one day, and it's going to be one of those big fans from uh, Tractor (laughs) Supply that's like half the size of the room. Yeah. (laughs) I like that. Okay. So buy a fan. I like it. It's for comic relief for the show here. (laughs) But, yeah, John's guilty. So, you know, calling the the kettle black here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. uh, Throw yourself a, a paper party is next item here on the list um you know if if paperwork's been piling up for the winter um you know like it does in my office gee i mean th- things start piling up I and mean, you have to take some of the downtime when things slow down to start cleaning that up right and getting organized so get your file system going um clean up your files Stash away the important papers, you know, in the proper files. I think you buy a scanner. I, yeah. I think that's the way to do it. Yeah, and then shred your important documents. Just shred well. it. Just buy a good shredder and a scanner. That's yeah. all you need, yeah. right? And you scan everything and you file it in an electronic file and just shred the documents. I yeah. mean, a copy is as good as the original for most things. And if for your really important documents, 
Um, John, you know, I mean, you, you put those in your safe, right? Mm-hmm. Your marriage license and your, you know, certificate of title for your car. Yeah, birth and, certificates. Yeah, those yeah. kind of things. You put the, your passport, you put those in your safe, and the rest of your stuff, you just shred it. Yeah. And you scan it. Scan it and shred it. Do it in that order. I wouldn't do it in the reverse order. I like it. I like it. Um, so number the next one here on the list is is don't overtax yourself. Um, you know, summer is obviously not the tax season, but you know if you're if you're making more money um, or making less for that matter, you may need to adjust. Uh, the, the amount of taxes that are being withheld from your paycheck. So take a look at what that is. You can do some tax planning in the summer. Uh, it doesn't take that long to do that. If you're working with a CPA out there, just reach out to them. They'll be more than happy to help you as well. So take a look at the tax situation. Yeah, and another one is is get covered. You know, in many parts of the country, a summer has a rise of burglaries and thefts. So you want to make sure you protect yourself and you protect your belongings. Um, warmer weather also brings a bunch of natural disasters, hurricanes, thunderstorms. So check on your homeowner's insurance, your renter's insurance. Make sure you have good coverage um, that can cover you in the event that you get burglarized or you have, you know, a disaster, tornado, thunderstorm, some damage to your house, um, you know, like some of the ice storms we had a a while Mm -hmm, back. mm -hmm. Uh, You want to make sure you have good insurance there. And, uh, you know, maybe you need to buy a cheap security system. You Mm -hmm. know, it doesn't – you don't have to – they have much. I mean, burglars are inherently lazy. That's why they're burglars, right? So it doesn't take much to deter them. Yeah. You know, good dog or sure. or security system. Cameras as well. We've looked into to those and yeah, have, um, I have implemented those. My, those. Yep. I have those in my house. I think those are a huge deterrent. Yeah. You know, if they see that light on that camera and when they pull up in the driveway, they're have, out of there. We have a sign as you come in our driveway. If you can read this sign, we can see you. Yeah, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen that. I've seen that. I like it. So uh, the next one here on the list is just talking about summer vacation plans. Steve, I know this is I one like of your it. This is topics. my favorite topic, John. Yeah, you can take it if you want, or I'll, I'll just continue. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. Well, I'll, I'll let you talk about you it. Know, I might throw in a, uh, yeah, a sure. golf story or two. I'm sure you will. So, uh, you know, minimize airline fees. Um, travel light. Um, you know, travel at off-peak times. Do some comparison uh, shopping. Um, you know, and I, I, sometimes we just drive. I mean, I have two kids, and man, paying for the airline times four versus driving a little bit. Uh, more inconvenient, but uh, you can save a lot of money that way. And look at going to maybe a national or a state park. I mean, oh, camping yeah. can be cheap. <clears throat> and they're fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you can get out the Yellowstone or the Grand Canyon, I mean, those are unbelievable parks. Mm-hmm. And they cost pretty much nothing, you yeah. know, just getting there, right? And, you know, lodging, of course. Um, but what a great place. And, and there, there's some nice golf courses around those parks, oh, too. So sure. I'm just saying, I mean, you can just have a case. fantastic vacation. You know, do your budgeting for it, right? Yep. Plan ahead. Um, build it into your budget. And then enjoy because, I mean, what a great time of the year. Yeah, and if you had the flexibility like like you guys now, most of the kids are out of the house kind of uh, coming and going a little bit. nest syndrome. <laughs> That's right. I love it. You can snag great deals, uh, last-minute deals. You know? There you go. And uh, just take spur-of-the-moment trips. That's another way to save some money as well. It sure is. Sure is. Speaking of, of spur-of-the-moment trips, you know, you need to keep an eye on the splurges, though, mm-hmm. John. I mean, you need to do some budgeting, as we talked about. You know, there's things like Christmas gifts, there's school tuition, winter vacations, um, just a few of the things that could be headed your way before the second half of the year, right? So you need to plan for that. You know, a lot of people get excited about being outside and going on road trips. They forget about the rest of the year and factoring in 
um, the fall and winter costs, you know, into their summer budget to prevent the nasty surprise later on. So do some budgeting, review your budget, make sure you're on track for the expenses that are going to come for the rest of the year. Yeah, that's a good one. And uh, the next one here on the list is um, kind of interesting. Be creative with your passwords. Um you know, changing passwords on a regular basis is is a good way to to um, prevent thieves from hacking into your accounts. And um, you know, there's a lot of different ways. We've talked about this segment before, Steve. You can um, you can get uh, ID, um, you know, protection. You can do credit freezes and so forth. Um, but changing your passwords periodically is a is a good strategy, um, particularly for some of your more important accounts. So um, take a look at that. Good time to do it mid year. Yeah, that's a good one. And the last one here on the list is a pick a pet project. Um, and I like this. They're, they're talking about a charitable project here. You know, if summer travel reading exposes you to the global or local problem that you would like to help solve, then you know, learn how you can make a difference in that. Right? Get mm-hmm. involved and 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 help make a difference. You know, in your favorite charity, um, your your favorite cause out there. To um, you know, summertime's a great time to do that because yeah. a lot of time people have extra extra time on their hands. Um, or pick a good project around the house that can save you money. There right? you, go. you can rebuild your golf green or something crazy <laughs> like that. Yeah. yeah, that's a good. If you need a uh, mid year checkup, give us a call. We'll be more than happy to sit down with you and, and kind of review kind of where you are. And you know, once you've gone gone through this to to do list, you've earned that trip to the beach or the golf course. So yes, you, you have know, some some good things here. But uh, do do take that. Um, seriously and do do some uh, checking on your own situation all right that was a good one and that leads us up here to our question of the week yeah see this is a question we get from uh, young parents typically about saving for the kids education where's the best place to save a couple different places uh you know dave ramsey is a big uh esa fan education savings account you can put roughly two thousand dollars there are some income limits uh, associated with that a 529 plan um, particularly in South Carolina, has some pretty good tax advantages. I think that's great. That's yeah, a, it's a great place. I know that's what you use. Automatic seven percent tax advantage yep. in South Carolina. I mean, I, in, I personally use that as well. So that's a good place. Um, sometimes parents come in and say, "Well, I'm not sure if Johnny's going to be going to college, and they want to have some flexibility." Then you can save it in a brokerage account or a custodial account that's not necessarily earmarked or tagged for uh, school or college. So there's some different ways, some different accounts. Uh, make sure you consult with uh, an advisor or CPA when you're trying to set this up. We'll be more than happy to help you because there are some tax ramifications and some income limits as well to some of the some of the accounts. That's true. Yeah, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. But, you know, if it's for college, I, I really believe the 529 plan for most people is the best vehicle because of the tax advantages are just, are just the best on the planet, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you get state tax deduction going in and it's tax-free at the federal and state level coming out for qualified expenses. Right. so. You yeah. just can't do that any other way. In Georgia, you could put 2000 in and get a tax advantage right. on that. But South Carolina, it's unlimited. So it's, right. it's a pretty good deal in South Carolina. So. Yeah, it really is. So, But anyway, like John said, you need to look at your overall situation. So consult with a professional and find out what works for your situation. All right. That leads up here to our break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Stevie. We'll be right back after these messages and GNN News. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm 
Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is the Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. And we are um, starting a new topic here at the uh, bottom of the hour, and that is investment costs. What you don't know can hurt you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, John, I mean, when it comes to investing, there are not many things that are certain, right? I mean, the relationship between risk, return, past performance, all those things can be dubious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it is not. Past performance does not predict future. It does not. <laughs> There's a good reason the SEC requires that That's disclosure. Right. Because Absolutely. It's true. Yeah. You know, it doesn't. <clears throat> um, however, there is one factor that has been proven to directly affect your return. And that is expenses, mm-hmm. cost, right? And, um, you know, there have been lots of studies by companies like Vanguard, um, Dalbar, that have <clears throat> proven that higher-cost funds uh, over, turn, over time have a lower return on average than, than comparable funds mm-hmm. that are less cost. <clears throat> so... There is a direct relationship there, and it's not always, you know, a perfect relationship. I mean, some funds can make up that cost in other ways, but in general, um, it hurts you when you have higher costs. I don't think anybody would deny that. You know, there, and there are not many factors that are more important to your return than expenses. Um, I've heard clients say that, you know, they don't care what the expenses are. They only care about their net return. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's kind of like saying, John, that you don't you don't care how many calories are in dessert as long as you can still fit in your clothes. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you know, there it's is a, catch up there is a correlation there. You know, so you might want to pay attention to the cause and effect yeah. that's going on there. And you know, Steve, unfortunately, the average investor has really has no idea what their investment costs are. And quite frankly, most of the financial institutions don't talk about it. Right? It's not they something. Don't. <clears throat> you know, I was uh, talking to a client recently about an annuity and and. Um, they had no idea what the costs were, but yeah. um, so so often we see that. Yeah, I mean there are costs really in any type of investment, from individual stocks, mutual funds, annuities, <clears throat> bonds, ETFs. Um, there's even a, a cost in cash, and that cost is an opportunity cost. You know, cash isn't really making anything today, right? So it's not a, an expense per se, but you're not making any money. You're losing right. Right inflation. So right. there's right. different types of cost in any investment. You just got to understand what those look like. Yeah, you do. You have to understand your alternatives and, and what the costs are. And unfortunately, calculating the cost can be very complicated, right? I mean, there are expenses that are buried in investments that you've never heard of. Um, there can be ex- expense ratios, which most people have heard of, but then there's commissions that you you know you may be familiar with. But then there are things like the spread cost between the buy and mm-hmm. sell um, on stocks, or the M and E charges for insurance products, the the administrative fees, um, redemption fees, front-end, back-end loads, something called market impact. I mean, there are just a lot of ways that expenses can bite you, and you have to be able to pay attention to those and and have some general idea of, you know, where your investments line up with expenses. Um, You know, I never really understood how expensive some investments could be until I got into this business. I always thought... You know, like most people, 1%, maybe one and a half, you know, it's kind of your typical expenses, and that was the whole picture. But so when I first got in this business, I used to go to these broker-dealer conferences, and I mean, this was 20 years ago, and I I would hear about annuities, you know, and I used to listen to all the guarantees and, and think, wow, this sounds really, really good. 
But then I'd start adding up the expenses. You know, they would start talking about the <clears throat> the cost, and it would be the fun cost. And then there's this M and E charge, and then there are the riders. You know, the guaranteed minimum withdrawal benefit, the guaranteed death benefit mm-hmm. riders, and um, you start adding those up. And I was just doing the math in my head, and I'm like, wow, you know, that's like three to four percent cost. Um, you know, before counting just the trading cost of inside the funds that you can't really you know, pinpoint. <clears throat> and I remember asking a more experienced advisor than me, and I said, you know, am I missing something? They're talking about these, these, these annuities and you load them up with all these riders and all this stuff. And the market makes 9% and you have four or 5% cost. I mean, aren't you like no better off than a fixed annuity or a mm-hmm. fixed account? That's just paying, you know, four or 5% back in those days, you could get that. Um, and unfortunately, the answer was yes. You know, I mean, except that the only problem is you can't, they can't earn a big commission, yeah. you know, selling something that's fixed. So I take it you're not a big fan of annuities? Well, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, John, as you know. Um, and I'm not saying they have their place. Everything has its place. I think the, the, one of the issues that, that I think we both have is most people don't understand. I mean, they'll bring an annuity into us. And that they have just no burn, it burns me up when somebody just has no clue what they own. Yeah, I mean, if it <clears> fits know? into your situation, then it can't. there is a place for some people, but... It's just not understanding it. You need to understand it, right? I mean, yeah. So 15 years later, 20 years later, nothing really has changed. I mean, cost can just eat you up, you know, and and all the return above fixed can be eaten up by expenses. So, I mean, what has changed is my conviction is that costs are a huge deal and you need to pay a lot of attention to expenses. Yeah, so I guess we're going to go down and, and kind of break down the cost. Individual yeah. stocks, you know, it's a little simpler. You have commissions. Um, that uh, are usually pretty evident on the statements, but then there's something called spreads uh, as well. So there, you know, that's that's the um, when you when you buy, there's a uh, bid and an ask price um, that the market maker is making some some money on. So the spread does have a, an impact. Um, commissions might range eight dollars for deep uh, discount trading to over one percent for a full service broker. So um, you know, individual stocks have some cost to them. Yeah, that's right. Most people are familiar with that, but you know they're not familiar with the spread, and that's the the cost between the bid and the ask for stocks, um, and that goes to the market maker of a stock, mm-hmm. right? Somebody on the stock exchange that's making a market in those stocks. That can range from a quarter percent for large stocks to to really uh, up to five percent sometimes for small, thinly traded stocks. So. You know, you just have to be aware that I mean, if you're buying individual stocks, you could see a quarter percent to over 5% for a round trip in that stock for buy and sell. Um, and obviously, if you're trading more than once per year, that could be huge. So, you know, I just, I've seen people over the years that were buying and selling a bunch of small stocks and had no idea that they were getting eaten up mm-hmm. by by trading costs because all they saw was that little $8 commission they got charged or whatever it was, and they didn't think about the spread costs. Right. I mean, it's huge. you got to overcome that. So, you know, then there are mutual funds. I mean, they have they have costs that, uh, that um, you know, if it's a stock fund, uh, the expense ratio uh, can average – over 1% for no-load funds to even more for load funds. Right. So, Yeah, and then there's also something called a market impact for mutual funds. And this is where a fund, a large fund, moves the market price when they buy or sell a stock um, due to high volume. So, you know, this can be a significant um, impact depending on how large of the stocks 
you know, that they were trading, how big of a, a block they were trading in the market. It can um, Some of these mutual funds have millions and millions of shares of stock, and it impacts it. Exactly. So the, kind of the bottom line here is, I mean, there are studies that add up all these costs, and they have estimates that come in around 3% for no-load mutual funds internal, including all these trading costs and market impacts and spreads and stuff that are internal to the fund. Um, including the expense ratio. So you put those mutual funds inside of an annuity, and then you have a whole other level of expenses, right? You have an M&E charge. You have the cost of the riders. So there's another half percent to as much as 3%. Um, so, you know, just don't kid yourself into thinking that a good fund manager can dance around and make up for that level of expense. Um, that's a big deal. Costs are really a big deal. So, so you have to control costs. So we're going to talk a little bit about controlling costs. Um, fortunately, costs can drastically. Uh, fortunately, they can drastically be reduced by carefully picking the funds and watching these factors that go into making up the cost of your investments. Um, index funds, for example, typically have very low cost and very low turnover. And that low turnover translates into low transaction costs. Right, right. And there's also something called an ETF, uh, exchange-traded funds. Uh, just another type of fund, Steve, that has um, uh, usually has a low turnover and a pretty low expense ratio and, and cost inside that. And it's important to avoid a lot of trading on the funds um, that, that, that trade frequently. It's called turnover ratio. So you can, you can look at a fund and, um, and see what the turnover ratio is. Exactly. I mean, you can avoid expensive vehicles like an annuity or some kind of package product like a unit investment trust or or something like that. Just be aware. I mean, there are a lot of costs internal to those vehicles, and you have to understand what they are. Um, You know, if you're paying for an expensive vehicle, make sure that you have a good reason for it and you're aware that you're probably going to get a lower return as a result of that that cost in there and it, but just make sure you're getting some benefit from that additional cost um so anyway we'll continue this and wrap this up when we come back from the break but if you have questions you can email us at info at moneymd.net or you can give us a call at richard young associates at 706-739-0725 you're listening to money md with john and steve we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break um, about cost, investment costs. What you don't know can hurt you, John. Um, you know, when it comes to <clears throat> investing, there are not a lot of things that are certainties, right? There are not many guarantees with mm-hmm. investments. Yeah, right. um, and, uh, you know, the risk between return and past performance and all that stuff can be very dubious. Mm-hmm. Um, but, however, there is one factor, as we mentioned, John, and that is cost. Cost is one of those things that, that as studies have proven, does have a direct relationship on your return. Um, the higher the cost, the lower the turn. Yeah. Um, there is a correlation there, and it's not absolute, but it, it certainly uh, works its way out in the averages. So you have to pay attention to cost if you want to be successful at investing because cost can eat you alive and can derail your your long-term plan. 
you know, if you're in a product or you're in some vehicle that just has exorbitant cost, mm-hmm. then it very likely, it very well can eat up a yeah. lot of your return. And most people don't know what that cost is. It's not. That's the problem. Many times the cost is not like sitting in front of you. You have to go dig and ask the questions and understand what you're investing in. That's exactly right. So, you know, so we've talked about that. And, you know, if, you, if you're if you paying for an expensive vehicle, you need to have a good reason for it um, because you need to get something for that additional cost that's in there that's going to that's gonna probably lower your return over time. Um, you know, of course, the, you know, the ways to control cost, I mean, there are certain things you can invest in like index funds, ETFs mm-hmm. are, are pretty cheap and have low turnover. So that's one way of doing it. Um, individual stocks is can be the cheapest way to invest because, you know, if you're not buying and selling very much, um, they're very low cost. But unfortunately, you sacrifice diversification, which can be the most important factor to investing. And your asset allocation um, can be uh, compromised by owning individual stocks. So that's not really what we would normally recommend. But actively managed funds, they tend to be more expensive. They tend to have more trading. We don't believe that typically adds value um, for with a fund manager that's doing a lot of turnover. Um, we, I like to see a portfolio, John, that has around 2% total cost mm-hmm. and that or less. And that includes the trading cost. That includes, you know, everything that's factored in. So you really have to look to, to, to understand that, um, you know, but you can get, uh, including management fees, you know, you can get portfolios that have less than that, that are in that range. And, you know, if you're in an asset class that averages, you know, 9%, um, and you have costs that are 4%, then you're not better off. You're not much better off than being in bonds. Yeah. So, um, you know, you add in some poor decisions with market timing, stock picking, you could be making nothing. So you, ha- you just have to be careful. Um, you need a discipline strategy that keeps costs low, utilizes the, you know, efficient asset classes for higher returns, um, and then avoid, you know, bailing out and trying to time the market. I mean, unusually, usually that's going to cost you big time as well. Yeah, we see that in the Dalbar study. Um, says the average investor makes about half of what the market returns. Um, they look at over a 20-year period. And, you know, much of this is due, some of it due to cost, some of it's due to market timing. So uh, the Dalbar study points out that investors don't do very well for a number of reasons. That's right. So anyway, the takeaways here are, you know, cost can be one of the few factors in investing that you have some direct control over. Studies show that it, it directly affects your bottom line return and sometimes unnecessarily. So, you know, focus on minimizing costs with your investments in a low-cost diversified portfolio. Shoot for 2% or less in total costs, including management fees and the internal trading costs in a portfolio. Avoid products and vehicles that you don't fully understand and you don't have a good reason to be in because inherently those are more expensive. Mm -hmm. So that's really kind of the bottom line on cost here. All right. And that leads up to our next – well, first, that leads up to our – Prescription. Uh, prescription of the week. Yeah, this prescription we'll cover kind of quick based on uh, time. And um, looking at your portfolio, Steve, uh, you know, we look at uh, folks' portfolios, and they usually don't have um, uh, the recommended international allocation, what we look at, what we do for our clients. And you've got to understand international allocations. They, um, the international stocks have some different risk with them with foreign currency and things like that. 
got to make sure you do your due diligence. But we're, we're believers in investing internationally from a diversification standpoint. We recommend anywhere between a third to a half of your equity exposure being in internationals. So, yep. uh, again, it's got to fit your situation, do some research, talk to a professional, but that's that's what our philosophy is. Yeah, understand how much you have in international stocks and a third to half of your stock exposure mm-hmm. in internationals makes a lot of sense, um, we believe. Yep. So that's a good prescription of the week. All right, and that leads us up here to our final topic, and that is the classic investing mistakes. Yeah, this is um, from uh, from Marketing Pro. It's a service that we subscribe to. It has some, some good information, good articles. Um, doesn't mean we agree with everything on there. There's some things on here which uh, we certainly do agree with and some things that we'll debate a little bit. But, you know, year after year, Steve, we see bull markets, bear markets, and investors make um, some two – uh, all too common blunders and mistakes. They, um, they've been written about, talked about, and critiqued at, at some length, yet they're still made. And you can chalk them up to psychology, human nature, uh, perhaps even a degree of peer pressure. You just don't want to find yourself making them more than once because they can be devastating to your, your portfolio and your future, for that matter. So number one here is caving into emotion. And uh, there's a group out there called the DeVere Group. And it consulted high net worth investors around the world, um, about 880 of them. And uh, it found that even with their experience, some had made the equivalent of a rookie mistake. And uh, 20% had let fear or greed prompt them into some type of emotional investment decision. So even some of the folks that that, um, have done very, very well financially cave into emotion. Yeah, and another one, John, is, you know, is past performance. Um, Investors will use past performance to justify you know, emotionally wanting to, um, you know, buy more of it. Did it, did it do well recently? Well, I better buy more of it. And, but past performance merely represents history, right? And it usually represents just one time events that really are meaningless going forward. Um, you know, selling due due to emotion is another one of those traps. I mean, investors will jump out of the market and not get back in until, Mm -hmm. You know, it's higher. I mean, just like you just mentioned with the Dow Bar study, that's one of the problems. People will go in and out of the market at bad times, and Dow Bar mentions that as one of the big factors, you know, selling low and then buying back in higher later. So instead, you need to diversify and rebalance your portfolio. Yeah, that's a good one. Number two here on the list is investing without a strategy. And some people invest with with one idea in mind, making money. Obviously, that's a a basic one. An outstanding goal, uh, obviously, but it shouldn't blind them to other priorities such as tax efficiency, managing risk, and reviewing asset allocation. Even 22% of the investors in this DeVere poll confessed to this. So my guess is for the average investor, that would probably be higher. Is, would be my guess, but make sure you have a strategy around your investing situation. Number three here is not diversifying enough. Have you ever heard of the phrase? It's called familiarity bias, and this is when an investor develops a home team attachment to an investment um, or a particular stock, and it's just as sports fans, you know, stick with their favorite, you know, club, whether it be the Celtics or the Yankees or you know the the Georgia Bulldogs, Clemson Tigers. Obviously, the Carolina Gamecocks would be one of those. Um, sometimes you can stick with a an investment for years and it just doesn't work out. Sometimes we see people working for a company and they just kind of get an attachment to it. So make sure you diversify that you don't get stuck on one investment just because it's familiar. Yeah, exactly. You know, and he goes on to say here, the guy that wrote this article that. Uh, you can be over-diversified sometimes, hold too many investments, and 
you know, the problem here is that not all these companies can be winners. I mean, I have to admit, John, I read this part and I said, you know, this is crap. I mean, this is not, I mean, that's the problem that I think in our industry is some people out there just, just don't have a clue as to what research has proven with investments and over diversifying is not one of the problems Mm -hmm. that people have, you know, it's under diversifying. It might be owning, too much of one asset class, not having enough asset classes, owning stocks, a lot of stocks, but they're all in the same asset class. But it's not like this guy's saying here, okay? Yeah. This guy sounds like Jim Cramer where, you know, diversification is a hedge against ignorance. Booyah. Not true. <laughs> you know, you need to diversify. You can't be over-diversified. Yeah. Um, you need to get market rates of return in a bunch of different asset classes and rebalance your portfolio. That's right. And this goes on to say, uh, see, this article talks about tax management of investments, making sure you include that in, um, you know, not reviewing portfolio allocations. Um, and so here's the takeaway. Fear, greed, bias, randomness, and inattention they're the root cause causes of the classic investing blunders. And, you know, they've been made by a lot of people, but what, what's been shown to work, patience and experience may uh, help us avoid them in the future. And that's one of the values uh, we add to our clients is giving them some perspective on things as well. So, um, you know, don't make one of these, you know, it can be a fatal mistake from a portfolio standpoint. That's right. And part of it is keeping your emotions out of it, having a disciplined strategy for investing. That's that's really the way to be successful long term. Okay. Well, that brings us up to the close of this week's edition of Money MD with John and Steve. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to more prescriptions for your financial health. And do check us on our website, moneymd.net. We would love to hear from you. You can email us there directly, or you can uh, link to us or email us directly at info at moneymd.net, or give us a call at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC.